Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. I thanks be to God for bringing us all here today. And I want to thank you guys for coming into my home in McKinney, Texas, as we have our little house church here every Sunday morning, Gospel Saving Church. And I want to welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud and wherever you're coming from all over the world. I want to welcome you here as well, too, today. And I want to thank you for joining me and uh, joining another a message, uh, hearing, hearing the word of the Lord from, from Gospel Saving Church. So if you guys want to uh, bow your heads with me and pray, let's ask the Lord to bless our service today and ask Him to speak to us and, and uh, help us to hear Him clearly. So Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in Heaven, thank You so much, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank You so much, Lord God, for all Your wisdom and all Your guidance, Lord. Lord, You're ready. Lord, for us to come to you, and you're ready to lead us and you're guide us, Lord. We're just not always that ready, Lord, to follow you, because following you is not always the easiest thing to do. But Lord, when we look at your love, as we're going to talk about in our first part of our message today, Lord God, it's easy to say, I will follow you, Jesus. So Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us today during your message, Lord, Lord during this sermon. Speak from my mouth, Lord God, today, and not by me but, or by my wisdom or my might, Lord, but by your Holy Spirit, Lord, teach us. I pray, dear God, your Holy Spirit would, would teach us all that you want us to hear today. Speak to us, Lord God, individually, Lord, to our hearts, Lord, by your rhema word, Lord God. Speak to us, please, Lord, speak to us and help us to understand what you have to say to us, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 today, verses 14 through 30, and we'll get to the title and we'll get to the reading of the word in here after I go through my thoughts from last week's message, The Wise and the Foolish Virgins. Again, that's Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, if you guys want to be turning there while I'm talking. If you remember last week, we had five wise and five foolish virgins. Well... The only main difference between these five foolish virgins or backslidden Christians and these five wise virgins or these watchful, faithful, and repentant Christians, these these ones that continued on the path we read about last week in Jesus' parable, can be summed up with just one or a couple different types of scriptures in the New Testament. Our first scripture that it can really be summed up with is Luke Chapter 13, verses 22 through 25, we read Jesus say, or we read this account of Jesus. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying through Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, to you shall seek to enter, but will not be able to. Well, why? Why would those seek to enter, but not able to? Like the five foolish virgins of last week that we read about, or the five backslidden Christians, those that seek to enter, they're not going to strive to stand with Christ in faith. They're not going to strive to seek Jesus Christ to get that faith in order to enter eternal life. What does it mean to strive? Striving is not sitting back in your lazy chair, going, oh, I guess it's just going to happen if it's meant to be. Striving is pushing forward, continuing to go on and go hard, even though things aren't going real well. Striving means that I push forward, no matter how hard or how difficult that it may be. Paul admonishes uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12 with some of the same words on the five foolish virgins versus the five wise virgins that made it and the five foolish that didn't. He says to the five wise and to us that want to be wise, he says, listen to his words here, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold Think about what do you think about when you hear lay hold? Grab it and don't let go, right? Lay hold on eternal life. 
to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, faith doesn't come naturally to your human mind. Faith doesn't come naturally to your flesh. Faith is a hard thing. Paul writes about it in Galatians 5.17, and he says, For the flesh, which is your human body, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So really, we have this war going on within us. Each day, those of us that are trying to live, or those of us that have come to Christ, we have this war. We have this flesh warring against the spirit, and the spirit warring against the flesh. And unless we strive in the faith, or we lay hold onto the faith, and we stand strong in our faith, unlike the foolish virgins that we read about, they didn't do, then we won't make it. So, I have this to say to all the Christians that may be listening out there. Faith, because it's so difficult and it wages war against the Spirit, the reality is this. To all my brothers and sisters that may be listening out there all over the world, my Christians out there, many who have once been saved, they're not going to strive and they're not going to stand in their faith in Christ until the end or Jesus comes back to get them. And the result will be that they will not, you may not, endure to the end and you may not make it to heaven because you may not strive, you may not lay hold of that faith in Christ and keep going unto the end. And you may be thinking, this is just my interpretation. Well, Pastor Ed, you know, I don't think that that's true. Well, then, how do we read Jesus' words in Luke 18, 8 when he says, because he foresaw this problem of people continuing to have faith. He foresaw this being a problem. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in all the earth? See, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And he knew already, and he knows now. And he already knows all the people that are currently or are not currently continuing to hold on. Despite how hard, despite how easy, it's hard to hold on. And it's hard to continue to have faith and endure to the end. So again, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith? in the earth. So my exhortation on this point from last week's message and this week's thoughts is this. When Jesus Christ comes back or you die, will he find faith in you? Or will you be like the five backslidden Christians who won't make it to heaven that we read about last week? The question is, will you continue to fight the good fight of faith in Christ daily? And continue to strive to have faith in Jesus Christ until your end or until Jesus Christ comes back? Or will you not? There's only one way that I've come up that God's shown me that we can continue to have faith. That we can continue to strive. That we can continue to lay hold of the faith that we have. And this is something that you have to do daily. This is something that you could do daily or something you could do when you're weak in the faith, but I recommend doing it daily. What is the only way we can continue in faithfulness and repentance and being watchful? Well, you have to have a motivation. Everything in life you have to have a motivation to do, right? Anything that's hard, you have to be motivated to do things that are hard. Well, having faith, trusting in Christ, leaving everything in His hands, that's hard. So your only motivation that'll keep you going through the hard times or through the super difficult times, is this. To say this and say it out loud, Jesus Christ loves me and he paid my sin price on the cross. He's given me a chance to have peace in my heart now and eternal life forever. You see, if you keep this as your motivation... You can say with power, think about it, Christ loves me even though I'm not worthy. Christ loves me and he died for me and he can give me, he's given me eternal life 
and peace in my heart now. And with this as your motivation, you can say, because, Lord Jesus, you did this for me, I'm going to choose to love you back with not only my words, but with my actions. And I can love you with my repentance towards my sin, and I can keep going for you with my faith until I die or until you come, no matter what happens to me or no matter what I go through. I know that since you did that for me, you think I'm worth it, and so I can keep going for you. With this, your motiv- with this as your motivation, you can be assured that you'll never fall away, that you'll never end up a backslider, that you'll never end up falling into sin and losing your faith. Because if you always keep the motivation of, Christ loves me even though I'm not worthy, and yet He thinks that I'm worth it, you can keep going, and you can endure to the end, and you can keep pushing forward in your faith with Him. Praise be to God. All right, well, let's get on to this week's message. Our title in this week's message is, Is Your Faith Productive? Is Your Faith Productive? Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So let's read them, and then I'll, we'll talk about them. Matthew 25, verse 14 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had two, who had received the two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many Things enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your town in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So last week, as I just talked about, we read about... You know, Jesus being the bridegroom, and we had the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. And in the last couple weeks, remember, we've, we've, Jesus has spoken to us about the importance of living a, a, you know, repentful, a watchful, a faithful lifestyle until he comes. Well, this week, Jesus tells us about these three servants, that they have a, a lord or a master, and this master, this lord, leaves them each with a certain amount of their Lord's goods as he goes away on a journey to a far country. And when he returns, there we see he he settles accounts with these, these people, these servants, and gives them each the reward that they deserve. So I'm going to go through each one of these verses, and I'm going to interpret them for us, and we're going to get some understanding, and God's going to show us the truth behind what Jesus is really saying to us here. 
In verse 14, we just read it. Jesus just said this is another kingdom of heaven parable, right? It's a kingdom of heaven parable. What does that mean? It's not, a, it's not this is not a, a story or an account of, of something that uh, really happened in the fleshly world, like in our human world. This is a picture of something that happened in our, or, or, or I should say it's a picture of something that is going to happen, but then it's something that matters in heaven. It's like a, you know, it's a spiritual idea that Jesus is bringing to us here. It's a heaven, it's a picture of heavenly things, of the way things happen here that they're going to translate unto heaven, okay? Secondly, he tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Well, who is this man and what is this country? Well, this man, of course, is Jesus Christ. We know that from Scripture, right? This man is the master here, because Jesus often talks about himself in parables as the master and as the Lord. And he was about to be what? Very shortly here, right after this chapter, not too long from now, Jesus is going to be resurrected. And he's going to go to the faraway country of where? He's going to go to the faraway country of heaven, right? Thirdly, he just told us in that verse, verse uh, 14, he tells us that he calls his own servants to himself. He didn't say he called the servants to himself. He said he called his servants to himself. Well, who are Jesus Christ's servants? I wonder if you're thinking in your mind, who are Jesus Christ's servants? Well, they're Christians, of course. They're those that decide to surrender to Jesus and make him their Lord and Master, and then we become servants of Christ. People that are lost, people that are atheists, people that are Satan worshipers, they don't, they're not servants of God, okay? God's servants are Christians, okay? So also think in this idea of something that happens in a physical matter that's going to translate to heaven, okay? A true statement of this parable would be this. These servants here, these three types of servants, would represent all Christians that have ever lived since Jesus Christ died and resurrected and that will ever will live, okay? This is an important point. I don't want it to miss out. I already touched on it a little bit. Uh, Please don't ignore the fact that Jesus calls these servants here his Christians, or or his servants, or, or these are Christians. So why would I say that that's an important point? Well, people who believe in eternal security or once saved, always saved, just glaze over this scripture because they can't explain explain why Jesus says these are his servants. Well, you may be saying, why? What does it matter? Of course, these are Jesus' servants. Well, if you look to verse 30, verse 30 says that Jesus takes the last one of his servants, verse 30, and he says, and cast out that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in the end, we're going to talk on it later and all the little details that go along with it too, Jesus actually sends this last servant of his, somebody that's his servant, so somebody that's saved, he actually casts the person that was saved here to hell. That Please don't miss that fact because Jesus is speaking to us here of three types of different Christians, not just two types of Christians and somebody that's never been saved because somebody that's never been saved would not be called his servants. Okay, so he calls all these people his servants. And fourth, what does he do for them? He delivers his own goods to them to do something with until he returns. What is he saying? Jesus Christ here shows us that he delivers, and we know this being true from the Bible, he delivers the dealings and the duties and responsibilities of, you know, the church and his things that he wants done on earth, his, you know, desires on this earth, his servants are supposed to fulfill or carry out. You know, I'm just going to call him the rest of the sermon, the duties and responsibilities of these Christians. And he gives these Christians these duties and responsibilities to take care of until he returns. So now, We got these basic details down. Let's talk about what else he says about these Christians that he leaves in charge. Verse 15, he says, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Okay, so we have these three Christians. And they each get here. We see that Jesus gives them. They each give them. He he gives them a certain amount of talents or 
a certain amount of duties and responsibilities to be in charge of, of God's earthly kingdom until he returns. Because we know that Christ left Christians here while he resurrected. That means that we have, each Christian has a certain amount of duties or responsibilities here on this earth while he's away to take care of, okay? So he gives some Christians these duties and responsibilities. He gives to some five parts. We, we don't, we're not going to, I can't really say what that is. I mean, I can say that there's some Christians that have great ministries and then there's some Christians that have little tiny ministries. And I can, we can put it like that or we can have, you know, some Christians that would have, you know, just one little responsibility while other Christians have a hundred responsibilities. So we'll just say here that he gives to some five parts of responsibility. He gives to some two parts of responsibility and he gives others one one little part of responsibility to take. Second thing we notice is he also says here, he gives them the uh, uh, amounts of talents upon the, uh, and the duties and responsibilities to each according to his own ability. Okay? <clears throat> That's not a bad thing. This is what he's talking about is he's given Christians, Jesus gave Christians, God gave Christians uh, an amount of ability, uh, amount of responsibility, an amount of duty upon what they can handle. Okay, he built us a certain way. And then so he's saying here, he built us a certain way. He's going to give us a certain amount of responsibility upon how he built us. And then thirdly, he tells us in verse 15 that immediately he then goes on away to a journey. A little bit more in depth, simply Jesus says here that God gives certain duties and responsibilities. Bible says by his Holy Spirit. Okay, because that's how God gives these things to us by his Holy Spirit to Christians to use for his kingdom according to how he made us. You know, an example here I have down here would be like Billy Graham and me. Obviously, Billy Graham, well, she's older now, but Franklin Granny's son. But when Billy Graham was in his day, he had, you know, millions and millions and millions of people that watched him on an often regular basis. Well, I only have, you know, a very small responsibility for God that God has given me. So we each see that even in me and in, you know, Billy Graham or Franklin Graham or whichever you want to say, they, you know, we see a difference there as far as the talents that I've been given and the talents that they've been given. But the Bible says here that he gave to them, uh, he gave them out. The Bible tells us that God gives us those abilities or God started giving those abilities to people after Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, when he allowed his Holy Spirit to come into people and to inhabit people. Okay, so now that we got that down, what do these servants or Christians do here in this parable with their duties or responsibilities that Christ gives them? Look at verses 16 through 18. I'm going to run them over really quick. Then he would receive the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had two, who had received the two, gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Okay, so what did they do? Well, each one in this parable here, which again represents Christianity, Christians that have lived since Christ departed from this world, resurrected to heaven, uh, they each went, and the one that had five, he went and he worked really, really hard with that five talents that he was given, or those five parts of responsibility that he was given, and he made more. The one that was two, regardless that he only got two, he didn't treat the two any different than the guy with five treated, or the person with five treated the five. So the the Christian that got the two talents, or the two parts of responsibility, he went out and he worked his hardest and he multiplied and he made two more talents out of the two talents or the two duties and responsibilities that he had from God. And he went and he doubled them, which meant that he he really worked at them hard and he, he did a good job with them. So he multiplied those duties and he, you know, made more. But the one, the one, he just went and he buried it. He didn't do anything with it. He just was lazy and he just let it go. And, you know, he just thought, well, you know, and he dug a hole and he put it in there and he covered it over and he went. And basically what we'll say about this guy is he went and he sat on his couch for Jesus and he just did nothing. That's what we'll say about him. So two are productive uh, with what they've been given. One is not productive and buries what he's been given and just basically throws away the gifts or the responsibilities or the or the duties that God has given him. Look what Jesus says, verse 19. 
After a long time, Jesus says, the Lord of those servants, so Jesus of those servants, came and settled accounts with them. What's he saying? Well, Jesus Christ is speaking about his return. Okay, He's going to come back one day. And when he comes back, he actually judges those that are God's kids. He judges us. He judges Christians. And he gives out rewards to his servants according to their service that they rendered for the kingdom of God while they were alive in the flesh, alive, you know, in their fleshly bodies. Um, Jesus is describing here what Paul writes about in Romans 14, uh, verses 10 through 12. He says, Paul writes, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we, and who's the we? Who's Paul writing to here? He's writing to the Christians in the church of Rome. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, Paul's writing to the Christian church in Rome. He's not writing to the atheists or the Diana worshipers. He's writing to the Christians in the church of Rome. And he says that we Christians will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So even Paul recognized that Christians are going to have a time where they see Christ when he comes back and he's going to judge us. And he writes to us again, exactly what Jesus writes to us here, the judging of the saints. Okay. The judging of the Christians. Bible says that there's two different judgments. There's actually a great white throne judgment, which is not the Christian judgment. The great white throne judgment is actually where God judges the lost. God judges the world, those people that don't know him. And of course, that judgment is a judgment of basically there's no hope there. Once you get to that judgment and you're lost, it's just a basically a, that's it. You're done and he sends you to hell and the lake of fire and then that's it. And then we have here the judgment of the Christians and the works that they do as, again, Paul writes in Romans 14, 10 through 12, and Jesus says here in Matthew 25, 19. So what does this judgment of Christians look like exactly? Well, Jesus gives us an exact picture of what this judgment of Christians will look like in our next verses here. Let's look at how Jesus Christ responds to these Christians here when they each bring him as Paul said, each of us will have to give an account of ourselves to Christ. Well, let's look at how he responds to these Christians and what they do. And as they bring their account, he sells accounts with them. Let's see how Christ responds to them as he sees that their duties and their responsibilities or their talents that they either did nothing with or that they really worked hard for. Let's start. I'm going to start with the two that received the five and the two talents because they are basically the same except for the amount of the duties and responsibilities that their Lord gave them. Look at verses 20 and 22. I'm going to skip 21 because 20 and 22 are the same. 21 and 23 are the exact same uh, as far as uh, from Jesus' standpoint. So let's look at 20 and 22 from the Christian standpoint, from these ones that, you know, they, they multiplied. They, they came in account and they had a good account. Verse 20 says, So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. Verse 22, He also who had received two talents and came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. So Jesus Christ, gave, again, I'm going to say, Jesus Christ gave them some responsibilities and some duties when he left, or you could say when they got saved, and they each go and they do something with what they're given. And in fact, the Bible tells us that they worked so hard with what they got, that God gave them, that they doubled what was given to them. Now, that's their account. We are going to step to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done in this flesh to God. That was their account to God. How does Jesus Christ respond to their faithfulness to do the duties and responsibilities that he's given them to take care of? I'm just going to read verse 23 because it's the same as verse 21 and 23. And then we're going to keep moving from 23 on. So just read verse 23, same as 21. 
and let's see what Jesus has to say to their faithfulness, to their doubling their responsibilities and their duties that he gave him. Verse 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But just the first part. Well done, good and faithful servant. Put your finger on the rest. We're going to read that in a moment. Can I get an amen here? That is what I want to hear when I die, when I stand before God Almighty, when I stand before Christ. Amen? Amen. I mean, come on now, right, Christians? Come on. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wow. In my opinion... Every Christian on the face of the planet should live their lives in such a way that they hear that those words from their precious Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. But why did Jesus Christ give them this awesome response? Why did Jesus Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant to these two Christians? Look at what the rest of 21, he goes on, or 23, he says... You were faithful over a few things. So, hey, my Christian, I gave you these responsibilities and these duties to take care of. And well done. Good job, my faithful servant. You were faithful over those things that I gave you to do. Then, because now you were faithful of those things that I gave you on earth, look what's going to happen to you in heaven. I will make you rule over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord, of your Lord, excuse me. They heard, well done, good and faithful servant, because they were faithful to take care of the duties and responsibilities that Jesus gave them to take care of until he returns. It exactly lines up with what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, Chapter or uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. So God saves us and he gives us an, an amount to do. Everybody that's been saved has duties and responsibilities from the Lord that God has given them. That's why we were created. Uh, both Jesus and Paul said that God expects Christians to do something with the duties and responsibilities that he's given us. And if you think about it logically, if you think about it even with your human understanding, is anything made? Does anybody make anything, whether God or people? Does anybody make anything just to do nothing? Of course not. Of course not. Everything that's made has a purpose. Everything that's made. Nothing's made on this earth that doesn't have a purpose. Everything that's created by mankind is created for a purpose. And God creates Christians by what? Saving lost people like somebody that I used to be, a lost person. And he makes us new. And he gives us then after we're new something to do. God just doesn't say to those that he makes and he makes regenerated and he, and he saves, okay, Christian, now, now that you got me, now that you're saved, hey, go back and go to the Bahamas and kick back on your chair and get your lemonade and watch movies for the rest of your life. God does not say that to those whom he saves. God saves you and then he expects you to do something with what he's going to give you. Look at the same thing. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. He says the same thing about God saving us, making us new and saving us and giving us stuff to do. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, we're born again. If you're, if you're new in Christ, then you're born again. You get this new way of thinking. You get this new life. He says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So that's what God did, right? God reconciled people, lost people, to himself, and that's what he did. Now he goes on to say, and 
has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So one of the things that God expects his people to do is go out there and try to win more people to come get saved and come to God and be born again and, you know, come to know Jesus. He's, he, he gave himself a reconciliation. He reconciled him, uh, us to himself through him. Then he now, he's given, notice he gave us something to do. He gave us a ministry now. Every Christian on the face of the planet, he's given us a ministry of trying to go help others get the same thing that he gave us. And he goes on to say, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and that was God's part. And then he goes on to say, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So again, one of the things that Christians need to be doing as part of their work and their talents and their duties for God is evangelism or trying to lead people to Christ because God's given us something to do, a ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so here in this parable, Jesus tells us that because these Christians faithfully took care of the things he gave them to take care of, which meant that they multiplied their duties and responsibilities, because they were faithful to do the works that he gave them to do while they were alive in the flesh, then he, the, re, the result was he bestowed upon them a place in his kingdom. Wow. They got to go to heaven. Could just by be just, they got saved, but then they, get, you know, they, they, they just were obedient to God's word, so they got to go to heaven forever. And along with getting to go to heaven forever, that's not where it ends. God didn't want anybody to just be a doorkeeper in the kingdom of heaven because he goes on to say he gives us more. Along with going to heaven, these faithful Christians got to receive great honor and great responsibility in God's kingdom of heaven forever. Wow! So we get to then, if we're faithful here, we get to not only go to heaven, but then we get to actually have some charge, some duties, some responsibilities for God in heaven too. Wow! That's awesome, right? I mean, we're not just going to sit back in heaven and go, oh boy, this is boring. Oh, there's nothing to do. Nope. We'll be serving the great king in heaven too. Wow. Again, that's why I long to hear Jesus Christ tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that you will long to hear that and live a life like these faithful servants too. Now let's read of the Christian that was given the one talent and see how faithful he was to do Jesus Christ's work Uh, that he gave him while he was alive in the flesh with verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 and 25 say, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours here. Here, Lord, here's the one talent that you gave me to, to do. I never did anything with it, but here, you gave me this responsibility. Here, Lord, I'm shoving it right back in your face. I did nothing with it, so here, just, just take it back. Now, again, this is not on the earth. This is a heavenly parable, speaking of the things that this guy did on earth that now translate to how God's going to react to him when he comes back, or the, when the Lord comes back, when he comes back to judge the Christians. Well, this guy here was not faithful to do anything with the duties or responsibilities he was given by his Lord or by Jesus Christ. Instead, what did he do? Did you catch what he did there? He made up excuses for his laziness and he blamed Jesus Christ. Oh, well, Lord, I knew you were harsh. Oh, Lord, I knew you were hard. Oh, because, you know, I knew you were hard and, you know, you, you, you know, you, you reap where you have not sown. You do whatever you want in this world anyway. What does it matter? I, I, you know, I just, here, you know, I buried what you gave me, never did anything with it. Yeah, there, there you go. And speaking of blaming Jesus Christ, since we see a relation between this and this Christian being lazy and wicked, because that's what Jesus called him, you lazy and wicked servant, Jesus says in Matthew eleven six. 6, this is something we got to be careful of as Christians. We got to, we got to keep away from the blame game. 
Okay, Jesus says in Matthew eleven six, "Blessed is he who is not offended because of me." Well, the context that he said it in was John the Baptist was in prison. Okay. And John the Baptist had seen all these great things Jesus did. He baptized Jesus, saw that the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, was told by God, the one you see the Holy Spirit descend on, that's the one that's my son. And yet now, so he saw all these things and was confirmed when he was in the ease of life, you'd say, that Jesus Christ was the one, was the Messiah. Well, now he's in prison. He's probably shackled. And he's in the dungeon, okay? The lowest part, they hated Christians, right? And now he's, he's just feeling sorry for himself. Now he's doubting what he learned. Now he's, now he's, whoa, man, this is a tough life. I didn't know, you know, joining on that, you know, my service to God was going to be this hard. So now what did he do? He went and he sent his servants to Jesus to say, hey, are you the one or are we to wait for another? And so being in prison, he started doubting who Jesus was. And once you start to doubt, it's all downhill from there, especially when you had the proofs that John the Baptist got to see when he was not in prison. But it would have been sure easy in prison to get offended with Jesus, you know, hey, Lord God, you know, praying in the depths of basically hell on earth. Oh, Lord, I'm in this prison. Lord, oh my gosh, what did you do to me? Why, why, why are you allowing this to happen to me? I know we all feel like that when our lives get tough as we're following Christ. We all kind of feel like that. Oh, Lord, what did I do? Why am I in this terrible situation, Lord? Oh, Lord, why are you doing this to me? All those words have come out of my mouth too many times. I'm guilty. But Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed are you that don't get mad at me for your bad situation. Because God never promised anybody that we would not go through hard times. God never promised anybody that. He said, oh, you will go through tribulation, but be be of good cheer, I'm with you. Hey, so you could be happy, I'll be with you, even though you'll go through terrible times. So this guy here, he blamed and made up excuses. You know, he blamed God and he made excuses. Oh, I can't do anything with what you gave me. Oh, you're too harsh. Well, we got to stay away from the blame game because you know what? It's not God's fault. God said he'd be with us and he'd help us through things. He never said that he wouldn't make us go through things or that we wouldn't go through things, period. So this servant says some true things about God in verse 25. He says, oh, Lord, you know, you're a harsh man, you know, reaping where you've not sown. And he says some true things about Jesus because Jesus actually affirms them in verse 26. But nevertheless, the end result was, whether he blamed God or not, whether he blamed Christ or not, the end result was that this, is he was a lazy, unprofitable, wicked servant, not doing anything with the duties and responsibilities that Christ commanded him to do after he had gotten saved. The example Jesus Christ gives us of this Christian and all the Christians ever that have ever done this is a perfect picture of what Paul said in Ephesians 4.30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We talked about this last week. The lazy, this lazy Christian had God's Holy Spirit living within them, but they just simply did not obey what Jesus told them to do. And instead, they ignored his voice They disobeyed God's duties and responsibilities. They blamed God and they just did nothing with what they were given by God to do. So this guy was lazy, made up excuses, blamed God, was offended with God, hid his talent, gave him back nothing. How does Jesus respond to this guy's excuses for his laziness? Let's read about him. Again now, this is the judgment of Christians that Paul writes about in Romans. Read verses 26 and 27 here. He says, But his Lord, so that would be Jesus, answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown. Remember I told you Jesus would affirm him? And gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Notice Jesus calls him wicked and lazy. Well, I want to get an amen here. That's not what I want to hear Jesus Christ say to me at my judgment day. Amen? 
Amen. Jesus, again, I said, affirms that he indeed does reap where he, does, where he doesn't sow, and he does gather where he's not scattered seed. Or, or in other words, Jesus says here, hey, I'm the Lord and the Lord God. I do what I want throughout the whole planet. And that's true. God does. There's nobody holds God back. Nobody says to God, no, you can't do this here, God, or no, you can't do that there, God. No, 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 because God just going to laugh, and he's going to do it anyway. No, you don't stop God, right? God does what he wills on the face of the planet and among men, no matter what. God can do his will. That's it amongst this world, okay? And the third thing he says here, he says the, he says the lazy servant should have given the talent to others who were doing something with their talents or the bankers, so that their talent would have just made the littlest amount of interest. How can I describe this to you? Uh, there's really no other way to describe it other than the way God's shown me in the past. Okay, Not only do I serve God with my actions, and I serve Him in Gospel Saving Church and leading all the folks that come along and under me, and not only do I serve God at my workplace, and not only you know do I pray hard for God, and I'm trying to be that faithful servant of God, but One other thing that I do is I also go take my talents that I've been given and I deposit them with the bankers. And let me describe what that means, okay? I take my money, too, and I take my money and I support other ministers, other uh, ministries. Uh, We support, as my family, we support Gospel for Asia and we support Voice of the Martyrs and we've supported in the past Jews for Jesus because guess what? These are other Christians that are working with their talents. And by me giving my talents, my money to them, they can use my money to do God's work. See, so they're doing something with their talents. And by me giving them some income, some help financially, they can actually use my money to go do God's work somewhere else. And this guy here... Even Jesus said to him, you didn't do nothing for yourself for my talents, but the least you could have done, the least you could have done is you could have supported some of my workers in the world by helping them. Maybe you didn't have to do anything, but just give them five or 10 bucks a month or something. But you didn't even do that. You backsliding, wicked and lazy servant. And he just didn't do anything. Down to the least of supporting God's other servants that were working for God as well. So first thing that happens to this lazy and wicked Christian servant of Jesus is verse 28. Jesus says to him first, or says here first, Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. So Jesus says, probably to the angels, because remember, he's going to come with the angels and he's going to judge us. Take away that talent from that lazy and wicked servant and, and give his duty and his responsibility to the guy that has 10. So those that have more will be given, he goes on to say. But there is something to say here, though, first. And I've had this happen to me before, too. If we refuse to be obedient to God's voice, then God will choose someone else that will obey. And guess what? Just like this guy here, we'll lose our reward, and the other person that did it will gain that reward. I used to go to a church back in Florida, and God told me to do something in service, and I wasn't sure it was God. No, I waited, and God said, oh, if you don't do it, oh, you got to go do it, got to go do it, got to go do it, and I just didn't do it. So a moment later, after I was like, I couldn't do it, another faithful servant of God got up, and he did it, and God taught me this lesson here. So we must be obedient and do the things that God tells us to do, and if we don't do them, God will give that blessing. God will give the reward for that work that that other one did to someone else and you will miss it. And then Jesus makes a very powerful statement concerning these rewards in verse 29, as I already alluded to. He says, For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So you who serve, you're going to get more. You who are faithful, you're going to be blessed and you're going to get the rewards and abundant rewards. But you know, those who don't serve, 
Those that are wicked, those that are lazy, those that are evil, they're not going to get nothing. And you know what? Even what I gave them to do, I'm going to rip it away from them. And I'm going to give it to the one who's already been faithful. So that's what he's saying. And Jesus lays down the final judgment or boom in this judgment on the lazy and wicked servant that's not profitable for the kingdom of heaven in verse 30, the sad end here. And he says in verse 30, to his servant that he gave his talent to, his responsibility on this earth to go do, his duties, his responsibilities, he says... And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I hope you can see that that doesn't sound like heaven. I mean, I wonder, uh, any ideas about where that might be? Because that doesn't sound like heaven. That's hell, of course. Jesus sends this unprofitable, wicked, and lazy servant to hell because he was not responsible with what God gave him and he did nothing with it. He sends his own servant or Christian to hell because although this servant had surrendered his life to Christ at one time, he had backslidden away from Jesus, losing his faith in God at some point. And with the losing of his faith, he came to blame Christ, remember, and became a lazy, good-for-nothing servant that wouldn't obey what God had commanded him to do. The result, this backslider forfeited his eternal life in heaven. He lost his eternal rewards or responsibility. He lost his eternal rewards for the responsibilities that God given him, and he lost all the chance to have some honor in God's kingdom when God, you know, resurrected him from the dead. Now, believe it or not, but this Christian servant of God ended up going to hell not just because he was not faithful to do anything with the duties and responsibilities that he was given by his Lord or by Christ. That's not the only reason he went to hell. There's another reason, you see. He sent himself to hell because if you break down what Jesus called him, Jesus calls him, verse 26, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Now listen to this. In Jesus' words, we see something special about this guy. That not only was he not obedient, by Jesus calling him, you wicked and lazy servant, well, guess what? People, by nature, and you know this about yourself, as I know this of myself, that it's true, your heart will tell you this is true, People, by our nature, will serve or give their loyalty to someone or something. You know that true in yourself, and I know it true to be for myself. We will be loyal to something or someone, and we will be, we will be loyal to something or someone, period, the end, right? With Jesus calling him wicked and lazy, what does this mean to be wicked and lazy? Well, if you're lazy, who are you really serving? You're serving yourself, right? When you're lazy, who are you caring about? You're kicking back. I'm not going to do nothing. Oh, yeah, this is the easy life. You may not think you're serving yourself, but when you're sitting back and not doing nothing else, you're self-serving. So this guy became, got saved, but then became self-serving. And by him calling him wicked, what does it mean when you're wicked? It means that your self-servingness led you to what? Sin. Living a willful, sinful life. So in a nutshell, since this servant wasn't serving God or Christ in their life, being faithful to do the duties and responsibilities that Christ gave them to do, they were serving themselves. And what comes naturally when you serve yourself? You just start living for sin. That's just what happens. So this unfaithful Christian didn't just not serve God with his life. He started serving himself and then his own sinful desires. And what did Jesus Christ say about how people must follow him? Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I, I don't hear... 
if anyone desires to come after me, let him just live however he wants. Oh, he can serve himself all day long. No, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, Jesus says, if you want to follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, it's real easy to get into, as we just looked at what we looked into in this message, it's really easy to think that we're really truly saved by works, right? It would be really easy to see that. In fact, that's why a lot of denominations have fallen from grace and into works because they look at scriptures like this and they think, wow, well, I, Jesus saved the one that was, then he did stuff. So that means if I do things, then well, God will save me. Well, no, that's not how it works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God and not of works, period, least any man should boast. But then he goes on to give the conclusion. He says, for we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the equation here doesn't work like, I do good works, all right, God will be happy to, happy with me because I did good works. It works like, I come to Christ as a broken sinner. Boom, I need you, Jesus, you get saved. Then what naturally should happen is, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, you hear God's voice then saying, hey, do this. Hey, do that, my servant. Hey, do this, my son. And then all we're supposed to do is just say, all right, I'll do that for you. So it's not works plus faith equals salvation. It's grace plus faith equals works. Naturally, God's grace, God's good gift, naturally putting our faith in that should naturally produce those works should just want to flow out of us, okay? Where we are not reading here, we're saved because we do a lot of good things and then, oh, I'm going to do these all these good things and then God will save me. No, 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 no. Like I said earlier in, in my past sermon, if you're not serving Jesus Christ with your life and doing something with the talents he has given you, you're going to start serving something or someone and that someone is probably going to be yourself or sin like the lazy servant in our message today. But Jesus is not teaching us that we're saved by works, okay? Um, that's it in a nutshell, my Christians, my brothers and sisters in Christ out there. There's no other way to put it. If we're not serving God, then we're going to be serving someone else or something else. If you think about this analogy that God gave me in this message, you know, uh, and uh, this analogy that I'm going to give you upon this message, if you're rolling up a hill uh, on a skateboard or something, or you're rolling up a hill on, you know, a little razor or something, and you're on some wheels, when you stop, if you were to stop, how long is it going to be before that gravity pulls you back down? that hill and you start to roll downhill on you know whatever you're rolling on and that's kind of how faith is we got to keep working we got to keep striving to go up the hill keep having faith keep listening to god and keep going upwards because if we don't continue to go upwards we're going to start to go backwards so if you call yourself a christian today i'd like to ask you a question which of the three servants do you resemble out of the ones that Jesus told us about in this parable? Are you being faithful and diligent over the duties and responsibilities that God's given you in Christ to have charge over, or are you not? Are you faithfully serving Christ Jesus to build his kingdom during your life, or are you self-serving yourself and being self-serving and serving your own willful, sinful nature. There's no doubt about it, though. If you are a Christian and have been born again, the Bible says that you have some duties and responsibilities for God's kingdom. So I ask you today, what are you doing with those duties and those responsibilities that God's given you? If you're like 
the faithful servant today and you say to yourself, yes, I'm pushing forward, Pastor Ed. I'm moving ahead. I'm rolling up the hill and I'm keep going. I'm keeping striving in faith. I'm, I'm continuing to be diligent with the duties and responsibilities that Christ has given me. Then I want to exhort you today to keep going and don't stop. Keep striving forward. Keep putting your faith in Christ. Keep realizing that he loves you and he died for your sins. And he's given you eternal life and the chance to have peace in your heart now. And with that as your motivation, keep going. Take the talents that God's given you and keep using them. Keep going after them. Keep exercising them. Keep being obedient and faithful to God and what he's told you to do. If you're like the wicked and lazy servant in this parable today, you sit there and you're saying, well, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not doing anything what, what God gave me. I'm not being responsible at all. In fact, you know, I see what you're saying. I'm not serving God, so I'm serving myself. Then I would ask you today to turn from this sinful way of life. I ask you today to turn away from this self-serving life, and I exhort you to turn back to God and put your faith back in Him and have real faith, a faith that is productive. James chapter 2 verse 20 says, Faith without works is dead. And if you are not serving Christ in your faith, and you're not being obedient to what God told you to do, and you're hearing His voice, but you're just ignoring it, then you're quenching the Spirit, then you're quiet in the Spirit, you're burying His voice, and you're not doing what He says, then the Bible says your faith is dead and you need repentance. If you really have faith in Christ and you really trust in Him with all your heart, then I exhort you today to turn and live your life for Him and start being the faithful one and to, and to do the things that God has given you to do. Please, because one life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Christ will last. And Jesus said here, if you choose to do nothing with what I gave you, I will not accept you because you denied my voice and you became wicked and lazy and lived for yourself after you were saved. Now, maybe you could sit there and say, you know what, I've never known the love of God in Christ Jesus today. Maybe you say that. I don't want you to be scared away okay, by what I just said to Christians today. God loves you so much. And Jesus Christ died for you on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could be set free from your sin nature, that you could be set free and saved from God's wrath and your sin. And he wants to save you right now, right where you are. He doesn't care about where you've been and what you've done. He only cares about where you're going to head now and who you're going to spend eternity with. He wants to spend eternity with you forever in paradise. What does he want from you in order for you to be saved? Well, he gave up his life for you. He gave up everything for you. And what he wants is he wants you to give up your life to him as well, too. Or Matthew 16, 24, 25, he wants you to deny yourself. Take yourself off the throne and put him on the throne. He wants you to pick up your cross and he wants you to start following Jesus. He wants you to lose your earthly life. So stop being the ruler of your earthly life or surrender your earthly life to him now so that he can save your eternal life forever. He wants you to turn to him with your whole heart and put your total trust in Christ and surrender your heart to him now. Just like the two people that fall, just like two people that fall in love uh, with each other and give each other their hearts, you know, oh baby, I love you. Here's, I want to give myself here. I want, I love you. God wants that for you too. And I don't want you to worry about all that serving stuff for his kingdom that I talked about today. If you really surrender to him and obey him today and you put your faith in him and start putting all your trust in him daily, all you have to do from that point on is listen to his little voice that you'll start hearing inside of you. You'll start hearing God's voice say, hey, my son, hey, my daughter, hey, I want you to go do this. And then all you have to do is just obey it. You don't have to worry about the consequences of not obeying it because he just wants you to come to him and then just listen to him. And then everything else... You know, you and him can work out together. 
But let's pray, and I hope that today that you'll either put your faith in Christ for, for the first time, or I hope that today that you'll take a step of repentance and get busy for Jesus and stop being lazy and wicked. Or I hope that if you're already serving God, that you'll keep going and that you hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for this day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. And thank you so much for your grace, Lord. And thank you for this message and, and your heart cry here, Lord God, for you want everybody to be saved, Lord God. You even want the wicked and lazy servant that's not serving you, that's fallen back into self-serving, Lord. You even want him to serve you today, Lord God. I just pray, Lord God, that Lord, you would draw those that are not right with you to you right now. Draw them to Christ Jesus. Draw them to their knees, Lord God. Help them not to fluff off the scriptures and think, oh, that's, oh, that's not me, that's not me. Oh, Lord, I pray that they, you would help them, make them to realize where they're at with you right now, Lord God. And I pray, dear God, that you would draw them to the foot of the cross and unto repentance, and they would seek your face and turn to you and start being obedient to you, Lord, and surrender to you. And Lord, I pray for those out there that are yours. Lord, I pray that they will continue faithfully, Lord, doing the things that you called them to do. Lord, I pray, dear God, that they would finish strong. Lord, that, Lord God, that they keep facing adversity or whatever it takes, Lord God, and they keep striving in their faith for Jesus Christ, Lord God, and they keep going for you until they hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. You have been faithful over a few things. Come in, I will make you ruler over many. <laughs> I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.